very good to be here today. I uh, want to begin by saying that uh, I feel very thankful this morning. Uh, very thankful to be here with you. We appreciate everyone's participation in the song service. Uh, a very heartfelt, sincere prayer. Uh, very thankful for those things. I will tell you uh, that when I was given the opportunity and the invitation to be here, uh, at first I was a little bit intimidated by trying to condense the two subjects that were given me into two sermons. And I felt like Michael, knowing me, uh, might try to warn you about the length of uh, that I might preach. And so I've tried to condense some of that. Um, but I will tell you this. Uh, as much as I try to strive to serve God in my marriage relationship, and as much as I try to give myself to my wife, I've come to a realization through this study that I'm a failure and that I have struggles with this. And so this morning as we talk, if I'm passionate, that's not because I'm angry. Uh, but friends, this has been very convicting to me, and I'm going to speak very plainly. Uh, if I would have given the subject to the wives, I probably wouldn't have sp spoken as plainly. Uh, but it's a little easier standing on this side of this subject. This one's not working. Could you help me with that, please? Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Thank you. Marriage is a deep, intimate relationship between a man and a woman. And God designed marriage as a uniting of two persons in a deep relationship where even in their sexual relationship it is holy and it is an honorable union. Marriage provides and addresses man's most basic needs for companionship in a union of love. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Friends, today, the holy and sacred union that God designed at the beginning of this world is under attack. And we see people talking about alternative relationships, alternative lifestyles. One of the things that we have seen become very prevalent is cohabitation. And while many people would say, well, the Bible never says that two people can't live together, the Bible is not silent on this subject. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 13 it says, Let us walk honestly as in the day not in riding and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I want to back up a slide for a moment and I want to show you that there's some things he mentions here that he notes as being works of darkness. Drunkenness and riding, chambering and wantonness, strife and envying. And then he makes the point of not making provision for the flesh. These things are coupled together, I believe, for a reason. Because drunkenness leads to a life of rioting. And friends, chambering or cohabitation leads to a lifestyle of unbridled and ungodly lusts. 
And while we may say, well, the Bible doesn't specifically say, thou shalt not live together, it is a provision for the flesh that offers us an ungodly relationship that is not honorable. Another thing that we've seen today that is spoken of in Scripture that is glorified as something good is a movement that is very disconcerting. And when we speak against these things, people say, well, that's not loving, you should be tolerant. But friends, the Bible speaks plainly about these issues. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 24, the Bible says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own heart. Now listen, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Some says, well, how do you know that that's specifically talking about homosexuality? Well, we'll continue reading. He says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Wow. My clicker must not be working. I've repeated that. He says, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. You've seen the signs, haven't you? The ones with the rainbow that say, love wins. Love wins, right? What did Paul say about this relationship? He called it a vile affection. It's not about love. This relationship's not about honor. It's about people being burned in their lust one toward another. He calls, it goes on to say, they change the natural use into that which is against nature. This is a relationship that not only is not honorable, it changes God's natural order. In verse 27 he says, Likewise also, men, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burn in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly. We would say something that is mortifying, it is shocking. So the Scriptures don't glorify this particular relationship between two people as being honorable. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It's unnatural. It's a vile affection. It is something that is against nature. Something that is very rapidly catching speed in our nation today is the practice of polyamory. And you say, what in the world is polyamory? Polyamory is the practice of what they call unlocked relationships. It is the practice or state or ability of having more than one sexual loving relationship at the same time with the full knowledge and consent of all the partners involved. In other words, you could have a relationship that existed between five or ten people and everyone is in an intimate and I would put a very small emphasis on their defining of the word loving here, but sexual relationship between a bunch of different people. The idea of open love is there's no commitment. There's no strings attached. We all know that it's happening. And in fact, from the Urban Dictionary, they said that polyamory differs from adultery because all the partners know about each other's lovers, so there's no secrecy or betrayal. Isn't that wonderful? You can go ahead and live in a relationship where there's no commitment as long as your significant other or others in this case know that you're doing it. 
You may think, well, Ian, this isn't even a problem. Why are we even addressing it? Well, friends, I want you to know this is a problem. Because next year, while many of you are going to be sitting in a complex somewhere in Dallas, Texas, for what we call the area-wide meeting, there's going to be people marching through your streets. On July 14th next year, the advocates of polyamory plan to come to Dallas, Texas and march the streets with their signs, preaching the idea of unlocked relationships and open love. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man, listen, have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. God doesn't talk about open relationships in this way. Marriage is a committed relationship between two people. You know, these other relationships, I think we can readily see from Scripture, these are wrong. These are not according to God's plan. Society today says marriage is antiquated. It is old. It's outdated. It's an antiquity. There's a group out in Phoenix, Arizona that call themselves Liberated Christians. uh, And this is their motto here. Promoting intimacy and other centered sexuality. I'm not exactly sure what all that entails, but you get the picture. And they say that marriage is for many an outdated institution based on man's insecurity and need to control and own women. Is that how you feel about marriage? That the only reason why men desire a marriage is so that we can have a slave? They would go on to say, in most times, including biblical, marriage was a man's way of claiming his property, his women. Marriage was based on a financial agreement between the girl's father and had nothing to do with love. So marriage has nothing to do with love, but these other relationships of homosexuality and cohabitation and non-committed polyamorous relationships, those are centered around love. But if you're committed to someone and there's a structure, that's all about slavery. You know what happens? People don't look at the whole picture of what God designed in marriage. That's the problem. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, friends. This is, to me, the greatest set of verses when it comes to teaching about the husband's role and responsibility. He says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he gave himself for it. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now listen to verse 25. He says, Husbands... Love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. What happens is we read those words and we people will center their focus around the words submit, subject, and they miss the bigger picture of what's happening. And so they see this as a relationship of slavery. 
And if that's all Paul had said, if he just said, listen, you wives, you submit to your husband. Uh, you guys, you're the head of your wife. If that's all he would have had to say, maybe we can conclude that that was really what he was teaching. But that wasn't all that he had to say. He not only told the man that he was to be the head of the wife, he explained exactly how that relationship worked. He said it was a relationship of love and giving. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus was the head of the church, the husband of his bride. He was sacrificial toward her. Does that sound like slavery to you? He would go on to say in the later verses that no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, and he identifies that as our relationship to our spouse. Would you say that someone who says, my sole purpose in this relationship is to love, to sacrifice, to give, to nourish, and to cherish, that they'd say, well, that's slavery. See, the problem is not that there's structure of authority within the relationship of marriage. It's that we often misunderstand God's structure. This is God's design. And people will focus on the negative of a conversation and not listen to all the details. And they come out only hearing the words that upset them. Friends, it is not God's design... For a man to live in an unstructured and unwed sexual relationship where no authority exists. That's not God's design. And it's not God's design for a man to live with another man or a woman to live with a woman in a sexual relationship where this design does not exist. And no more is it God's design for the practice of polyamory. And we know that, but friends, it's no more God's design for those things than it is to switch the roles that God gave to where the wife is the head of the marriage relationship and the man subjects and submits to her. That is not right. And you may say, well, where is that happening? Everywhere that is happening. Not only is marriage under attack, under attack today. But the emasculation of men in America is happening. And it's happening quickly. We talk about gender identity crisis. Why do people have a gender identity crisis? We will make excuses for our children by saying, well, we know they look a little funny, but we're trying not to squash their individuality. We want them to be able to express themselves. And that's what they're doing. They're expressing themselves to the point where men don't know how to be men. And they make themselves effeminate. And they put themselves in a position where they're willing to submit. I got news for you, fellas. Your wife does not want a husband that submits. She wants somebody to lead her in Christ. That's what she wants. And if she doesn't want that, it's not your responsibility to change your role 
to fit and mold yourself into her idea. God has called you to lead your home. And that doesn't make you Lord. It gives you responsibility. We often confuse God's design by jesting about it. Hey, you want to go golfing next week? Well, I would like to do that, but first I have to talk to the boss. Oh, it's just a joke, Ian. Is it a joke when my son hears me call my wife the boss? Is that clarity for him and our relationship? Our marriage is happy because I do whatever my wife tells me to. I asked a guy that one time, I said, how is it that you live so long, 60 years, that's a long time to be married. And I said, have you ever had any huge troubles in your marriage? He said, no, we've had a great marriage. He said, she tells me what to do and I do it. Everything's fine. He was just joking about that. (laughs) But that's what we do. We make light of this. Friends, it's not funny. It's not funny that the roles have been reversed. That men don't know how to be men. That they don't know how to lead their families. Had a, a guy tell me one day, he said, well, I'm the head. And his wife said, yeah, but I'm the neck. And the neck turns the head. This was an elder in the church. There's not a problem with that. It's your job. It's your God-given responsibility to lead your home. Notice the language that's used over and over. The husband is the head of the wife. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. And I want you to know, fellas, he didn't say the head of every woman is every man. I'm not the head of your wife. You're not the head of my wife. Genesis chapter 3 and 16, in the beginning when God designed marriage, right after they had sinned in the garden, God said to Eve, your desire shall be to your husband and he shall rule over you. That word, that phrase, your desire shall be to your husband, literally means a longing for. You will long for your husband. A dependency of him. Genesis 2 and 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. You know why marriages are in trouble a lot of times? Because we miss this very fundamental principle of marriage. I remember... After my wife and I got married, we, we lived with uh, her grandmother and mother for a while. I was a college kid. We were working for them at the time in a cafe. And it wasn't long before we both realized we need to get out of here. Uh, because they would talk about our marriage as though it was our marriage. <laughs> it was their marriage too. And so they could make decisions for our marriage and what we were going to do and the decisions we were going to make. And that's not God's design either. But the problem with this as husbands is we often don't identify the need that our wife has when she becomes part of this marriage relationship with us. We don't realize that most of her life she's had structure and order in some way. 
And so she may, if we don't provide this for her, she may run back to dad. She may run back to mom and want mom to be integrated within that relationship. But you have to remove yourself. And it doesn't mean that you can't have a relationship with your parents. But it means mom and dad do not run your household. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. He says that we're to dwell with our wives with understanding. What does that exactly mean? Well, there's a lot of different theories about this. I think it means you need to understand that they're different. And you need to be understanding of their needs as opposed to yours. And understand your role toward her. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. One thing is true about all children. They're very vulnerable. They're very dependent. They're dependent upon their parents emotionally. They're dependent upon their parents financially. Uh, They're dependent spiritually. They're dependent in every way. And so you remove a woman from a household where she's been dependent, and then you don't provide anything. You don't dwell with her according to understanding and try to fill the void that is now there. What's going to happen? Where's she going to go? Is your wife going to long for you? Is she going to desire, her desire going to be toward you if you're not providing those needs? The Bible says, Under the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. If any provide not for his own, and especially those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, I think specifically in the context, he's talking about financially providing. But that does not negate our responsibility to spiritually provide. Or even, guys, as much as we hate the word, emotionally provide. Dwell with them according to understanding. You know what? It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Some of the situations that I've been in in my marriage because I don't understand women. And my wife told me, she said, you should stop trying to understand women because women understand women and most of them hate each other. So stop trying to understand us. (laughs) But there are just times I just go, I don't know what's going on here. What's wrong, honey? Nothing. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Are you sure that you're sure? Would you leave me alone? (laughs) Sometimes we don't fix everything. Sometimes they need space. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they need us to look at them with understanding and compassion. You know why my wife sometimes says nothing when I ask her what's wrong? Because she doesn't trust Enough that I will be able to help her with whatever it is that's bothering her. And guys, that's a problem. 
Now, my wife's not a very open person. Um, she's become a lot more open as the years have rolled on, but she's not one that talks about problems. I'm more open as far as if we have a, something that's going on, I want to visit about it. That's not always the case. Some guys don't want to talk at all. And, and ladies, that, a lot of times that's just because we're guys. But that's not an excuse, is it? That's not an excuse at all. We're to provide for her every need. And the Bible says if we don't provide for our wives, for our household, we're worse than an unbeliever, worse than an infidel. Revisiting 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, he said, Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. This phrase, give honor, the, it literally means to place a value upon. You know, there's some guys that don't seem to value their wife very much. They'll give them nicknames like the ball and chain. Uh, that doesn't sound very valuable, does it? How much do you value your spouse? Do you tell her that you value her? Do you tell her that you love her? I had a guy in Washington State years ago. We were sitting around his kitchen table talking about husbands and wives. And he said, well, I told my wife that I loved her when we got married. And if I change my mind, I'll let her know. And we all kind of had a good chuckle until I turned around and saw this lady who was standing over at the stove cooking us breakfast and watched her posture change. Because it was funny to him, but it wasn't funny to her. This man had a problem expressing his affection and his love toward his wife. Just because you gave her a ring and just because you... Committed to live with her for the rest of your life does not mean that she believes she is valuable to you. You know, Christ is probably the example we ought to look to here, but we often look to other places and we say, well, you know, uh, I, I just have a problem saying that because it's not very manly. It's not very manly to express affection. You know, my son, he's 11 years old. He's already getting to the point where he don't really want to hug dad in public. And if he does, he'll kind of cringe as he just puts his arm out and taps me. We get that way pretty quick, don't we? Worry about our dignity. That's pride's what that is, fellas. Your wife needs to know that you love her. You need to communicate how valuable that she is to you. And friends, let us not love in word, but in deed and in truth. You need to show her how valuable she is to you. We often talk a big talk. We say, well, I'd give my life for my wife. I'd take a bullet for her. And we won't even let her control the remote. One time I was with my sister, my brother-in-law, and he's a big prankster. And... Uh, we stopped to get gasoline, and he was fixing to walk in the store to pay. And she said, honey, would you get me a Coke when you go in there? And he just kind of looked over at her and smiled. And he went into this place, and he came out with a Coke. And he walked in, and he got in the driver's side, and he sat down. And he held it in his left hand, and he opened it. And he looked over at her, and he smiled, and he took a drink of that Coke. And we're giggling because we think, you know, you know, this guy's funny. 
He drank the entire Coke. Didn't give her one drink. And he kept it over in the door pocket. I was real snide and smug about it. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Oh, we'd really give our, wi- our lives for our wives? How much time do you give to her throughout the week? How much total focus and attention do you give to speaking and communicating with her throughout the week? What about where your finances are concerned? Do you always buy what makes you happy? You know, that's another one that I've seen him do is he bought her some golf clubs one year. She doesn't play golf. That's for her birthday. Some marriages are a slavery, aren't they? Because that's how men treat it. They treat women like you agreed to be my possession, and now I get to use you for my own pleasure. That's not how Christ treats his bride, and it's not how we should treat ours. He said, you give her honor. You value her. What does the Bible teach about value? Philippians chapter 2 says, let each esteem other better than himself. Does that apply in marriage? It sure does. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. You know, it's easy for me to kind of get in my zone where I'm worried about Ian. Because Ian's got stuff to do and I've got places to go. And when I get home, I'm tired and I really don't want the kids coming in and bugging me. And honey, I don't really want to talk right now. Just let me go and sit down with my guitar and relax for a while. And meanwhile, my kids are running around craving dad's attention. And my wife has been with those kids all day and they've driven her crazy and she's had no real human interaction and no one to talk to, but I'm sorry, honey, my needs come first. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. And likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband hath not power over his own body, but the wife. I will be somewhat generic in explaining some of this. But guys, you know this already, and it's probably been expressed to you, that your desires and needs in this area are very different than your wife's. And if we're to dwell with her according to understanding, we need to give that some thought. And not demand of them and be selfish. Sometimes the due benevolence that I need to render to my wife is assisting her with things that she's already agreed to do for our home. I know something every day when I get up that within two hours our house is going to be spotless, the dishes are washed, the clothes are clean every single day. It's like clockwork. And a lot of times we take that for granted. We go, 
Well, she's happy to do it. <laughs> so why help? A few weeks ago, I was up late and walked in there and saw a sink full of dishes and put them in the dishwasher. And the next morning, she came in and she go, what do you want? And I said, what are you talking about? She said, you loaded the dishwasher. I said, yeah. She said, are you about to go buy something or what's going on here? I said, no, I just saw a sink full of dishes. She said, so the one time out of the last, what, 500 days you decide to load the dishwasher, what's going on? I said, nothing. <laughs> Friends, I don't say that to my pleasure. That's shameful. That my wife feels alone in those responsibilities. Well, you know, she's the guide of the house. She's the keeper of the house. Do you expect her to help you in your role and responsibility in the home? I do. And she's very good to do that. We ought to do the same for them. Revisiting 1 Peter 3, 7 once again. Husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. You know what our ultimate goal should be as the leader and head of our home? Is to do whatever we can to make sure that our spouse gets to heaven. That we provide an environment of spiritual stability. And friends, too many times in the home, the wife ends up being the spiritual leader. Religion's not for women and children. You're to be the spiritual leader in your home. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, one of the things I felt like I would be neglecting in this study is not talking about love enough. And we're going to do that, Lord willing, this afternoon. So we're going to kind of continue the path as we go. And we'll shift focus a little bit, but... When we talk about loving our wives, that doesn't just mean we still think she's pretty and we have fond feelings toward her. It means that we exhibit love as the Bible describes love. Click the wrong button again. (laughs) Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love doesn't vaunt itself. It doesn't boast. See, we talk about, well, this is sacrificial love. Well, what what true love is not sacrificial? Is there such a thing as true love that's not sacrificial? The Bible says, love seeketh not her own. Love, real love, biblical love is always... Sacrificial. It's a giving of oneself. It's an act. Not just a feeling. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rains descended 
the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. I've never met anyone who said our marriage has been perfect. We've never had any problems. We've never had any disagreements. Winds are coming. The floods will come in. The rains will descend. And they're going to rock your house. What is it founded on? Is it founded on, well, honey, we're going to live together and we'll watch the same TV shows and I'll go do this and you do that and we'll just go through life with meaningless and purposeless relationships? Or is it founded upon the principles of God's Word? You know, we talked about different aspects of the husband's role today. It's interesting to me that at the end of the, great, uh, the, end of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus stopped and said, Now listen... You need to do what I've just told you. (laughs) You need to do what we talked about. That was his final admonition there. I've taught you all these things. Now go do it. Because if you don't do it, you're building your house, not a physical house, but your lives on the wrong foundation. And it's not going to stand. Guys, it's not enough just to feel bad that we're not good husbands at times. It's not enough just to realize our wife is different. We've got to do what God's told us. Lead your home. Open God's Word and strive to spiritually mature so that you can be the spiritual leader in your household. Devote attention and time to your wife so that she knows she is valuable and you give honor to her And understand her needs and meet those needs. Otherwise, you're living in a relationship of slavery. And that's not right. That's no more God's design than the depraved relationships that people exalt and call good today. At this time, we'd like to offer the invitation of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you haven't built your home upon the foundation of God's Word. Well, friends, your home is not like a physical home. If you don't build the foundation right the first time in a physical home, you've got all kinds of problems, some that you may never be able to fix. But that's not the way that it is in our homes. Okay, maybe you've made some mistakes. We all have. Maybe there's some places you haven't built correctly. Maybe today's the time to start building there. If you need the assistance of the Savior today in beginning that, we offer the invitation of Jesus Christ. If you're, not here, to, if you're here today, rather, and you're not a Christian, and you know what you need to do, we offer the invitation, an opportunity at this time for you to become a Christian. If there be one of either case, come and have a seat as we stand and we sing.